I'm Sinead O'Moore, and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to guests about their own unique experiences of parenting. The insane joy and anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, tears, and the moments we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy weaning months, water wipes. Made here in Ireland, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract. Making them ideal to protect and gently cleanse sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and at Every Mum, we are encouraging everyone to check their boobs because it saves lives. In this episode, I'm joined by Laura O'Brien, a mum of four young boys, a nurse, a midwife, and a woman who, while pregnant, knew that something wasn't right and who got checked and who survived breast cancer. Laura was 35. Laura had a head start. As a nurse and a midwife, she knew what to look out for. Laura put a reminder in her phone to attend a mammogram because in the haze of postpartum, it's easy to forget the tiniest things. And here, Laura shares her story because breast cancer can happen at any age to anyone. But there are things that can help us all to catch it early. Laura, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum the Podcast for a very special episode, of course, out in October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and this is a conversation that I've, I've, I've always wanted to cover on the podcast and no better time than October to the day this time last year. You have so much to share with us and thank you for all you're doing and sharing your story. No, thank you very much for having me here. I, I feel really privileged um, to be able to share my story. Um, and as you say, you know, something good has to come out of this, you know, and if that good thing can be that other women and men um, can take the time to listen to their bodies, to know their own bodies and to go with their gut, then something really good has come out of this. And you are a medical professional as well. You know, you've dedicated your life to helping others through their illness. Absolutely. And um, I think in a way that that made things a little bit harder, you know, a little bit of information, you know, um, can be quite challenging. Both myself and my husband are frontline workers. So we very much knew whenever um, I was diagnosed, we, we knew what the road ahead of us was going to be. And that sometimes is a little bit harder for sure. I have to say that the care that I got throughout this, um, and especially when our healthcare system was going through such a challenging time, the care that I got was absolutely phenomenal. And there is not one bad word that I would have to say about our, our, our health service and the hospitals that I, I have attended. You were going through breast cancer treatment mm-hmm. during the pandemic, mm-hmm. but also postpartum. Yes. Well, when I had my fourth child, my son, when he was born, that was at the very beginning of of the pandemic. We had just gone into lockdown and I thought at the beginning of 2020 that having a baby in lockdown was going to be my biggest problem. Well, did I get a land? (laughs) So yes, unfortunately, I, I I had the experience of, of every, of the whole health service, you know, from from having my baby to being postpartum and all the the normal things that we're supposed to do, you know, the public health visits, hearing tests, all those kind of things right up to, to my diagnosis. Because as you, just before we pressed record, you spoke of that moment where you, you hung up your uniform. Yes. Thinking that you were just going on mat leave. Yes. 
And at that time, I find that to be a very strange, very surreal thing. You know, I, as you said, you know, my, my job as a nurse, you know, I dedicated so much time to that and to that role. And it felt very, very strange. And I was, I was torn, um, because I obviously had to do what was right for my family. I had to look after me and I had to look after my baby and my children. But I also felt that I had such a unique skill set that could be, you know, of so much help to the to the country at this time. So yes, it, it was it was very difficult. It was hard to say the least. But there you there you were and you thought, right. I need to go home, I need to be with my baby, I need to, well, I need to have this baby. And you have three very young children as well as that baby. Yes, they were three, two and one. (laughs) So I was about to have four children under the age of three. It was incredible. When I think about it now, it's insane. (laughs) I'm like, is there an award that I can can give to you? This is just, no, it's a lot. And there we are, there's the pandemic. It's all thrown in the mix. And as you said, you thought just having this baby this year was going to be your toughest challenge. Yeah. But it wasn't. A much tougher challenge was on the horizon. And I think that's a really incredible thing for us all to listen to. Like what you're in right now, you know, there can always be something ahead that's going to push us further. So we always have to be mindful of taking care of ourselves because we don't know what's to come. We need to always have that in reserve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think we really do need to look after ourselves. And I think um, being a parent, um, you know, sometimes you can get a little bit lost in it, you know, with the sleepless nights and the early starts, you know, um, you know, and just the demands of, you know, either whatever phase you're in, whether it's the newborn phase, whether you've, you've toddlers, you have uh, primary school age children, teenagers, you know, you can get lost in it in, you know, the everyday life. And, you know, quite often we can forget to make the time for ourselves. Um, and that's something that I, I always thought that I was good at. Um, but it turns out I, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. But look, you know, we, we all learn from these things. And um, I think it's really, really important that we do make the time for ourselves. So how long after the birth of your fourth child, mm-hmm. did you have a moment where you started to think of yourself and start being concerned about your health? I became concerned about my health when actually when I was pregnant. Um, I had some discharge from my right nipple and I wasn't 100% sure if it was pregnancy related. And I remember speaking to my husband and he said, look, this is your, your fourth pregnancy. Um, you know, you're a nurse, you're a midwife. And if you're not sure that something isn't normal, the chances are it probably isn't. So maybe you should go get it checked out. So I went to my GP. I had a fantastic GP and she listened to my concerns and she said, she examined me and she said that she thought that everything was okay. But because I had that concern and I had, there was something in my gut telling me to get this checked out. She said, let's get you referred. Um, so she referred me into the um, breast health clinic in the matter and she marked it as urgent um, because I was pregnant and um, I, within a couple of weeks, I had an appointment, um, in the matter. I went, um, I went into them, I explained the situation, um, and they examined me at that time and they found a small lump in my right breast. Um, and they, there and then they did a biopsy and they said they'd give me a call back in the next couple of days with the results of that. Um, and I got the results. And at that time, they said it was something called a fibroid adenoma, which is a benign cyst. Um, and they said it was absolutely nothing to worry about. Um, go off, enjoy my pregnancy and come back to them whenever I had had the baby and uh, my milk had dried up and they would do a mammogram just to be on the safe side. Um, so... I, after, after Tom was born and my milk had dried up, I went and I had that mammogram and I got the results pretty much straight away. There were some changes on it and they could see that cyst that they had said was normal. Um, 
and at the time and there and then they did another biopsy um, and they said to come back in two weeks time for my results and I came back two weeks later um, I was very fortunate John actually came with me that day and um, he just felt at that stage that I had already had so many hospital appointments mm. between having Tom and um, my appointments in the hospital and that I had done too many of those alone so he was he insisted that he was coming with me and I was I'll eternally be grateful that he was there for that moment so that I got my diagnosis so it was it was on that day um, in I think it was the 6th of August um, I got I got my diagnosis and how long between how many weeks was it between them saying it was the benign cyst and then you finishing out your pregnancy you were giving birth your milk drying up what was that time frame it was a couple of months probably maybe about five or six months maybe um and when i went back for the mammogram actually the mammogram had completely gone off my radar and um, being in that whole newborn haze mm. but I had put a reminder in my phone um, to, to remind me to make the appointment for the mammogram because I knew that I was going to be super busy um, and only when that popped up I went oh gosh I must I must organize that and I did organize it um, and only for that it, it could have gone off my radar completely. That's mm essential information honestly you're so right the amount of things that you can't you can't hold in your head yeah in that postpartum phase so put a reminder in your phone make an alarm go off it says you have to do this yeah and, and if I hadn't have done that it could have completely gone off my radar and yeah so definitely put all your reminders in your phone you know book that smear you know check your boobs you know if you have to put it in your phone to remind you at a particular time in a month to do something do that you know if, it, if that's your way of remembering things absolutely do it and how old was Tom then when you were diagnosed Tom had just turned he was three and a bit months old yeah he was almost four months yeah um and it's incredible because we were in our, our little newborn bubble, you know, and we knew all along that Tom was going to be our last. Mm. So we were savoring this moment, you know. Um, I, and I remember um, uh, when the first lockdown happened, um, you know, it was very challenging for a lot of people. Um, and I know it was so difficult being at home with 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 children no matter what their ages were but I just relished it I was in my little bubble I had my new baby I had all my babies at home and I felt there was never going to be another time in our lives where I was going to have all the kids at home for the summer uninterrupted um, so that was that was it was lovely but sure look it didn't it didn't last for too long things are about to change <laughs> So you have this tiny baby, you've got three other children mm -hmm. under three. Mm -hmm. You've just been told you've got breast cancer. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you face that next day? That next step? It, it, it was a whirlwind, really, when I think about it. And um, uh, when I sit down and I, I was trying to think about... Um, I was trying to think about the, the timeline of events and, you know, a lot of it is a haze, to be honest, but there were so many, at that time, there were so many other decisions to be made. Um, you know, I had to, they were organizing for me to have more CT scans, you know, to see that had it spread in my body or was it confined to the one area. Um, I knew I was going to have to have surgery and chemotherapy and most likely radiation treatment. So I had to, to make a decision about um, egg retrieval. You know, had I completed my family, did I want more children? If there was the chance that I wanted more children, you know, I had to undergo egg retrieval um, and you know there was just so many other decisions that had to be made um, and it, it certainly felt overwhelming but at that stage it was just about putting one foot in front of the mm -hmm. other and um, the day that I got my diagnosis we told my my dad and my sisters 
and my mother and father-in-law and at that stage we we kind of just kept it to, to the that those core people not because we didn't want to tell other people but because there were so many answers to questions that we didn't have and we didn't I didn't feel able to answer those I didn't feel able to talk about the what-ifs with anybody at the moment I literally just went into survival mode um, but that evening um, my mother and father-in-law came down and they, they sat with the children and myself and John went out for a walk and um, we went into the park and we sat down and it was the first moment that we were really able to take it all in because when we came home from the hospital, you know, things were just normal for the boys. They didn't know where we were. They didn't know what had just happened. So they just, you know, mom and dad were home and they just wanted to play with us. So, you know, we had to do all those normal things. And it wasn't until that evening when they went to bed that we were able to take the time, um, I suppose, to really reflect on what happened and as I said we had so many unanswered questions um but we just we sat down and we spoke about it and and I think the key part in my journey and in our journey was at that moment we chose to be positive that no matter what the the scan said no matter what the treatment plan was going to be that we were going to be positive about this we didn't have a choice we had you know, four small children to raise, mm. you know, we had to be positive. This had to be okay for us. This had to be okay for me. Um, and thankfully it was. We know you started treatment then October of last year. Mm. Um, and I, I remember because I, I, I follow you on Instagram, you know, yeah. I've, I've loved the information that you were sharing as a kind of a midwife and nurse yeah. to support mothers. Um, and as you said, you didn't tell many people, you, you know, you, 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 you stuck to your your core group and I remember yeah. that moment w weirdly I still do like just opening my phone scrolling 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 oh there's Laura she's starting chemo before I had chemotherapy I had to have surgery so the timeline from that was from timeline from diagnosis to surgery was less than three weeks um, and it was so swift but it also felt like an eternity so three weeks after or less than three weeks after my diagnosis I had a right-sided mastectomy and reconstruction and um, I it was so daunting because and it, it's still so surreal when I think about it now um, the morning that I was going in um, my husband dropped me to the door and said goodbye and then that was it I knew I wasn't going to see him until he was picking me up um you know five days or a week later and that was very very strange and it was it was so hard for him and um, we'd gotten up super early I had to be in the hospital early and he drove home and you know came home gave the kids their breakfast and had to go about you know a normal day and that was that was really really hard um really hard for him but um I remember after my surgery, my consultant, and it was something that I really held on to throughout this was my consultant came in and he said, you know, that's it. Your cancer is gone. Mm. You know, the next steps are all about making sure that it doesn't come back. And for me, that just felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Um, but then following off my surgery, yeah, it was six weeks later then that I started my chemotherapy. And it was only in that time that I, I felt that I was able to put it out there to, you know, to the wider world and to discuss it on Instagram. And, and it, it was very hard because I wasn't so at that stage, my page wasn't hugely about me. It was about something completely different, but I felt that I had this opportunity to share my story and I felt that I had this opportunity to help somebody else um, who may or may not be going through this or through something similar. Um, and I suppose I wanted to use that platform to raise awareness um, that this, this can happen to you. It can happen to you when you're young. It can happen to you when you're pregnant or you have a newborn. It's, it's, it's not just it's not just a disease for older people. I know that there is going to be so many women who are thinking, oh, that's a bit weird. That's a bit different. Is that normal? Yeah. But for whatever reason this year, or for whatever reason to do with where they're at in their family right now, 
they'll get distracted or they'll push it back because we don't like to think about it. We don't mm. like to face things. But it is that delay that will make you make that cancer stronger. Absolutely. And, the, you know, this is the thing, you know, not checking our bodies or not, you know, going to that hospital appointment or going to see your GP. That doesn't make these this go away you know not hearing that you have something doesn't mean that you don't have something it just means that you're not doing something about it it's not going to go away by itself you know um and i know that it's hard and i know it's difficult and nobody wants to get bad news but if getting bad news gets sets you off on the, the right path to to making things better then you know but not going to that appointment or not, you know, checking yourself out, that doesn't mean that it's not there. This podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. Cancer is more than just the diagnosis, okay? It is now the journey through the treatment. And, you know, I think it's so brave of you to be committed to saying this is going to be positive with no other choice. Yeah. But that must have been a daily commitment. It was, absolutely. It was definitely a daily commitment. And, you know, some days it's really easy to be positive. And then some days it's not. But if you keep at that as your goal, it's very easy to get back to that point. Um, and there was, one, there was one thing that I found that really helped me. And everyone will find their own little thing that, that helps them um, to stay positive. But... Um, I had, a, I had a bit of a, a bit of a wobble at one stage and it was so hard. You know, I had all these appointments to go to and I had to do it by myself. Um, you know, all my hospital visits aside from when I, the day I got my diagnosis and it was so hard. And, you know, there was days where, you know, I just, I didn't want it to be me. I wanted, you know, I just wanted somebody to hold me, to hold my hand, you know, you know, just to be there to walk up the corridor and it was it was it was challenging and I didn't it was hard having to be that brave person all the time so I did I had a little wobble and I remember um um that eve or I think it was an evening but John had been um scrolling through his phone and he was on the RTE news app and he was reading an article I think it was um I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, Shuan Nidun had written an article on old Irish words and the meaning of them. And he came across this word and he said, Laura, I, I just, I found this word and I think it's you. And the word is, was Mishnok. And it was, you know, the Irish word for, for courage and for, for being brave. And he said, I just think you need to hold that he says, I know you don't want to be that person all the time, but you are that person all the time. You are extremely courageous and you are extremely brave. Um, and so for me, I, anytime I was walking out the door, I'd take a deep breath, I'd say Mishnok and off I'd go. And that for me really, really helped in, for me to stay positive and for me to remember that, you know, I got this, it's going to be okay. Can, can we all have a John? <laughs> Absolutely. I think everybody should have a John in their lives, but um, this one thankfully is mine. <laughs> That's just incredible because it has to come from that inner belief. Mm. It has to, like, that's the only way to face into these things. And, as, yeah. and I, I, I picture you, as you say, like walking down the corridor alone. This year you had to, you know, protect your 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 vulnerability when it came to the pandemic you had to protect your babies you had to protect your soul and you were doing it you were facing into this battle so alone yeah, yes it, like, in the hospital yes yeah and i i think that's that's the key thing is and um 
I suppose physically I, I was, I was alone. I was going into these appointments, but I, I knew I wasn't alone. I knew that I had my tribe around me. I knew that, um, you know, my, uh, I knew my mother-in-law had her meditation groups and, uh, they were all, you know, you know, they were all, you know, thinking of me, they were sending love and light out into the universe, there was candles being lit, you know, whatever angle it was, whether it was religious or spiritual, I knew that I was covered on all fronts, because I had such an amazing group of people around me. So, and, you know, so I wasn't, I was alone, but I wasn't alone. Um, but I knew that I and I know that I am now I'm, I'm an incredibly strong person and I feel really lucky that I am that kind of a person um, because that certainly made it an awful lot easier and I really do feel for people that um, might not feel that they have that strength you know because it's inside all of us mm. it's just accessing it and I don't pretend that I was able to do everything. You know, I certainly was, was not able to do everything. And I had a huge amount of support around me. And I suppose I'm not great at asking for help or I was not great at asking for help. Um, and I'm really lucky that my family and my friends knew that about me. So I didn't have to ask for, for help. They just, they arrived, they showed up you know and they they did everything that they possibly could for me you know they cooked for me they cleaned for me they you know looked after my children um and you know our parents and our siblings like they were absolutely incredible they just went above and beyond for us um i also have a childminder you know she was an absolute lifesaver and I remember you know when I told when I told her about my diagnosis you know she said Laura don't worry I'm not just here to look after your children I'm here to look after you as well you know and for me that was just such an incredibly kind and just a really warm moment in my life just to know that um that I just had great support around me and you know I had a really good friend who um you know uh took you know the older two boys you know for play dates in her house and you know she didn't ask she just did you know and that that was great um that was that was really really great um and yeah, as you said, you know, I was, I like, I was so sick. Um, and fun fact, if you have hyperemesis when you're pregnant, it mm. makes the, the, it makes the sickness of chemotherapy so much worse <laughs> because I remember there was one day I was having chemotherapy and I was so, so sick and, you know, the staff in the hospital were fantastic and they really like they they tried they gave me everything they possibly could to try and make every symptom that I had either a little bit better or to go away completely and um, I remember the the nurse manager of the day ward came over to me and she said um, can I ask you when you were pregnant did you have hyperemesis in any of your pregnancies and I said I did and she said I'm really sorry to tell you that that's going to make your chemotherapy sickness so much worse. <laughs> I was so sick. And I remember just, um, I remember just coming home and just saying, Oh my goodness, there's, there's, there's no getting away from this. Um, yeah, nothing, absolutely nothing could have prepared me for how hard that was. Um, I actually had two phases of chemotherapy. The first one was called AC and I had that every two weeks for for uh, four sessions and you know my oncologist you know he did say it was very grueling and it was going to be very very hard but um nothing could have prepared me for that um and I think it was the sickest I've ever been in my life and it was I only felt that I was beginning to recover from a session and then I had to pick myself back up and do it all again you know the, in the next day or two and that was that was so hard um, and at that time as well um, I obviously I'm sure a lot of people are aware that chemotherapy you know some forms of chemotherapy can cause you to lose your hair um, and I really didn't want to lose my hair 
not that I was being vain. It was nothing to do with me. I just, I didn't want the boys to look at me different, you know, and I was, I was conscious that I, you know, I wanted to, to, to be as present and to do as many school drop-offs and collections as I could. Um, and I just, I, I didn't want them to see me, um, see me different. So I tried what's called cold cath therapy. Um, and there's, there is a thing on my Instagram page, if anyone's interested in it, I did do just a little post on it. And basically what cold cath therapy is, is they put, when you're having your chemotherapy for, uh, I think it's half an hour before, during, and maybe about 15 minutes, half an hour afterwards, they put a really cold ice cap on your head. Um, and the idea is, is that it, it, it freezes your scalp so that the chemotherapy doesn't travel to your hair follicles in the hope that you can keep your hair. Um, and for a lot of people that does work and for some people it doesn't. Um, for you? Unfortunately for me, it didn't work. Um, after, and I remember I had always, I had built it up in my head that it was, it was going to be this really awful thing that if it happened, um, I'm sure you know yourself quite often the thoughts of something is worse than, than, um, than it actually is. But after I had, they had said that if it was going to happen, it was going to happen after my second and third dose of, um, of this chemotherapy. And after my second session, um, my grandma died suddenly and it was, oh gosh, we were so close. You know, she was my go-to person. And I remember thinking at the time, I just, how was I going to do all this without her? you know um but as I said that that week then I knew that the cold calf therapy wasn't going to work my some of my hair had started to fall out um and I remember praying the night before her funeral that I would keep just enough of my hair that I would be presentable for her funeral and I just felt that like I couldn't um I couldn't carry her coffin into the church with the other female members of my family give her eulogy and step out into the world with my new wig all in the one day I just for me that was that was too much for me that was that was where my limit was mm-hmm. um and I was just so thankful that it lasted just that long because that night um that night the majority of my hair fell out um but I was just I was I was just grateful that I I I got to that point um yeah that was hard that's Um, that mishnacht again like the just the resilience in you is it it was uh, and um my my sister and my husband like they were just I don't I don't even know how they did it because if I was in their shoes I would have found it incredibly hard um but I remember for 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 John he just felt that the timing of my hair falling out at that really vulnerable time in my life was just really really hard and in that moment he had felt you know it that was just too much mm. um so it was nice for me to be able to remind him of Mishnach <laughs> and that things were going to be okay. And, you know, we rallied around and we came back to our center and we were back in our, in our little bubble very quickly after that. I think that's important that, that just come back to the center. Yeah. You know, come back yeah. to retreat. Yeah. Um, and come back into just doing the next right thing. What do you need around you? Yeah what do you need to fulfill yourself in order to face this next stage, this next treatment, this next week? That's it. Yeah. If it's just getting you through the next five minutes, if it's mm. getting you through the next five hours, the next five days, it's just finding, yeah, as you say, just finding that something that brings you back to your center. The chemo did come to an end. It did come to an end. Um, the as I said, I had two different phases of chemotherapy, and thankfully, the second one was so much easier. And um, the one that I had weekly for twelve weeks, so it was an awful lot easier. 
um, it was an awful lot easier to take and I wasn't as sick with that um, which was great and I felt I was more able to do you know little things around the house bring the kids you know to Montessori um, bring them to the playground and, and I was able to be a little bit more present um, at that stage but um, when I finished my chemotherapy it was so surreal Sinead I remember you know and I had on my Instagram page I had done a countdown I didn't count up I can't you know I counted or I was counting down sorry and I remember uh, I had put up a post and um, that day, gosh, my phone just did not stop all day from Instagram, phone calls, messages, you know, of, you know, support and congratulations. And everyone was saying, you know, how happy, how happy must you be? You must be just delighted. And um, it was it was the one time where I wasn't true to myself and I had, you know, I said all the right things and I, you know, I said, you know, of course I'm delighted. And I was delighted that I had finished my, my chemotherapy, but there was also this very strange feeling and emotion that I had. And it took me a little while to process it. I suppose, not that I, sorry, not that I wasn't true to myself, but I suppose I didn't really, I couldn't put my finger on it and I didn't know how to process entirely what was happening. Um, but when I did and I took the time, I, I realized like I was, I had built it up so much and, but I was so scared because I had finished chemotherapy and I was going to have a couple of weeks off before my next round of treatment. And I was so frightened. I said, what if this didn't work? What if this, what if the chemotherapy didn't do the job that it was supposed to do? Um, you know, and I was out of the hospital for a couple of weeks. So I didn't have that check in with somebody where somebody was asking me, was I okay? And did I have, you know, any symptoms or any problems that I needed to talk about? And that was really, really frightening. Um, so I had another wobble at that stage. Um, but I quickly brought myself back to my center. I had the champagne, mm. the good bottle of champagne and got myself ready for the next bit. I'm sure there's a comfort in feeling like you're in treatment. Yes. Because it's, it's, it's doing its job. It's going to make you better. It's going to kick cancer's arse. That's and it. if it and if they pull the plug on that yeah you know i'm sure where your mind can take you is is a battle in itself absolutely and yeah you you know when you're having your your treatment you know you feel like you're doing something you know mm. you're making this better you're doing everything you possibly can mm. do and even though at that stage my treatment hadn't finished it was just that little gap and it just made me feel a little bit uneasy um, I'm very much a doer and I I don't like not having something to do um, and I that that for me yeah it was very very unsettling uh, and not that I didn't have like enough to do I mean I was at home with you know with four children of course there was like <laughs> there was so much to do but just with regards to this um, and with regards to my treatment and that path I felt in that moment in time that uh, I needed to do something um, and but talking helped you know and um that definitely got me through those those couple of weeks and um and sometimes it can be it can be easy to go to a dark space um and I hadn't really ever gone to that dark space before but after the chemotherapy I I had a little moment and I was frightened um but talking about it and sharing those fears definitely made a huge difference and really helped me put things into perspective um so that was that was helpful and how are you now how am I how am I now wow I'm still like I'm still quite tired um I physically I'm I still feel tired and I find that to be quite frustrating because as I said I'm a doer um and um something that we didn't touch on was um 
my diagnosis and, and having breast cancer, that was genetic. Um, so I had what's called, there's two different types of genes. There's a BRCA1 gene and there's a BRCA2 gene. And I, I don't want to go go into the I suppose the medical part of it but uh, with the BRCA1 gene um, you're at a higher risk of breast cancer and you're also at a higher risk of ovarian cancer and so I tested positive for the BRCA1 gene and I met with um, my team of consultants and uh, we discussed all the options that were there and the options were um, increased surveillance. So I would have, you know, a mammogram uh, regularly and I would also have screening for ovarian cancer. Um, the other option would be, and what was recommended was um, by the time that I had finished having my family, or ideally by the time, excuse me, the time I was 35, that I would have my ovaries removed. And um, so there was that option. And then there was also that I had the option to have a mastectomy on the other side. Um, so I chose, um, I chose to have a mastectomy on the other side. And I also chose to have my ovaries removed. Um, so from having my ovaries removed, I went into surgical menopause and that has been extremely challenging. Um, I can't have HRT because of the, the type of tumor that I had um, initially. So managing going through menopause and I suppose recovering from my surgeries and, and looking after my family has been really, really hard. Um, and the hot weather has not helped. I cannot <laughs> wait for winter. <laughs> It's a lot at once, but I think menopause is, is this other huge thing that women yeah. don't think about. Yeah. You know, we, we're probably the first generation of women to talk about periods. Mm. So we're now going to be the first generation that are actually being open enough to talk about menopause. Absolutely. As and when it happens to us. And actually menopause, you know, World Menopause Day is the 18th of October, which is another, <laughs> another thing happening right now. But I'm I'm really committed to more women opening up about the experience of menopause because oh, it is absolutely. coming for us all. Absolutely. And yeah, and it comes for some of us a little bit sooner than others. And I think, yes, it, it, I, I don't understand why it's a taboo subject, you know, and, uh, and it's funny. I've always been, I suppose, with, the, with uh, my background in nursing, I've always been really open about all things health related. There are not many things that would make me blush, but I found it hard, you know, even bringing up the word menopause. And it was so strange. Initially, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I felt embarrassed about it because I didn't feel embarrassed about it, but I just didn't really feel like it was something that was to be talked about. Um, but it was only then when I started talking about it that I suppose I got help for the problems that I had, or, you know, somebody would say, um, well, sure, like I've been through menopause, but, you know, you could try this or you could try that, you know, and I suppose that's, that's the key thing, you know, in order for, to get help with something, we have to talk about it, you we know, we have to talk about it. And it's, it's, it's the same thing around, you know, pregnancy related issues and postpartum related issues and our hormones and our health and everything else. It's like the last, the last piece of womanhood. Mm that we need to get better at talking about because otherwise we're all heading into it in the dark. Absolutely. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and we shouldn't be heading into it in the dark. We should know, um, you know, what our options are and, you know, if there are things out there that can make things that can make things better for us or that can make things easier for us. But, um, yeah, sure i i'm definitely an advocate for for talking about these things anything and everything um i don't feel that we all have bodies we all have these problems um and we all should be able to talk about it how did it feel for you i know that you have said like you have your four boys yes and that tom was going to be your last anyway yes but how have you felt about that end of chapter yeah, it was, it was hard. And the funny thing is we had, we, as you said, you know, we, we knew that Tom was going to be our, our last. Um, and 
it but closing the door on it and it being that final mm-hmm. it was it was hard and I think it was slightly compounded by the fact that the, obviously there was so much else going on there were so many other decisions to be made and you know we we had to stop and kind of think you know are we being rash about this you know or um are we have we thought about this enough and um, but also to have that timeline on it to say well you know you don't have a month to, to think mm-hmm. about this um the decision has got to be made but back to the original thing that we spoke about we trusted our gut we knew we had spoken about this before we knew that he was the final piece to um, the jigsaw that was our family and we just we trusted that Mm. Um, and I'm so glad that I, I I feel really fortunate that we had had these conversations before Mm. Um, and that we knew that we were both on the same page because I can't imagine how difficult it would have been making these decisions if we weren't on the same page um but yeah it it was hard um and I didn't know how uh I didn't know how I'd feel you know that first time that I caught a glimpse of a newborn or if I you know, was when I held a newborn, how I'd feel, but um, um, I feel very lucky and I, I, I feel very, I feel, yeah, I feel lucky. I made the right decision and we made the right decision for us um, and there's no regrets and I feel very lucky that that's, that's the case because not everybody gets that, you know. You're back working. Yeah. You're back living you're back excited for the future yes you have come through this period of insanity for for all of us but particularly you know the start of the pandemic you just went on maternity leave and yes you've been through so much in that time yes um it was it was a really really difficult year um we survived it and without wanting to sound cliche now it's time for us to thrive um and the one thing that I do hold was 2020 was a really really it was a difficult year it was really really challenging but it was also the most wonderful year of my life I got Tom we completed our family it doesn't get much better than that um and I feel very lucky that I sought help early and I'm here you know I'm here to to tell my story to share my tale to hopefully raise awareness um around this and I feel really really fortunate um that that's the case so um while it was a really really difficult year it wasn't the worst year and there are really great things on the horizon for you because you've turned your experience into yet another amazing opportunity to help others Absolutely. Um, so um, I suppose I have my, obviously my Instagram page that we spoke about and I'm really acutely aware that throughout the last year that I didn't get to share everything that I wanted to share on that page. And the reason that that wasn't the case, it was not that I didn't want to do it. It's not that I was hiding. I was just exhausted. You know, I, we were, I was in survival mode. So now that I'm feeling a little bit better, you know, I do want to share my story. I do want to help other women and, uh, and other men. Um, I want something good to come out of this. You know, I want to raise awareness that this is, this can happen to anyone at any time in their, in their life. And that's not to frighten people. It's, it's just to, to, to raise awareness and being somebody who had just gotten this diagnosis and being told, you know, to, to pack my bags. Um, you know, I was going into hospital. I came up with a really good idea and something that I'm really, really excited about. Um, so I am launching a new business and it's going to be called your hospital bag. And it is, exactly what it says in the tin it is for anybody who in one click wants to organize their hospital bag whether it be for an overnight stay uh, or for a day therapy a day admission and we will have the right thing for you 
um, and that will be launching in October. Um, hopefully it'll be live by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> <laughs> All going well. <laughs> Look, everything, there is just, there is always a silver lining to everything that happens to us. And as you said, to see the positive in it. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think to anyone who is being told that news that their life is being changed overnight it's there's so much going on and to just know that somebody who has been through it will send you the items that you just need to get through that next day absolutely what a brilliant business idea well thank you very much and yeah i i I think it's it's a brilliant idea and i wish you know i had looked for this type of thing um whenever i was packing my bags for hospital um and uh, it wasn't out there and I, I found it quite overwhelming because unfortunately we're still in a time in our health service where there are not as many visitors allowed to the hospital you know it's not as easy that if you've forgotten something that you know it can be dropped dropped to your bedside so I hope to combat that and to bring a little bit of good out of uh, my experience over the last year. Laura, you've done so much already just even by sharing your your story with us today. Um, I hope that there is a lot of noise in October around breast cancer awareness and raising raising our understanding of it and the signs and the symptoms. Um, But we need to talk about it. We need Mm -hmm. to talk more about our bodies. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you could find it in yourself to share your story with us today and I'm just so proud that how you're turning this into such a bright light of business idea for other people that need that help and support and you're absolutely phenomenal and I'm just I'm so glad that you are well me too (laughs) I uh, and I I feel so grateful and so fortunate that um things turned out so well for me and I have no reason to believe that um, this is ever going to come back and I can go on and live my life as I'm meant to do it and um, yeah I just feel really grateful and really fortunate um, to be able to share my story and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity um, to share my story. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to Waterwipes, the world's purest baby wipes for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, Waterwipes are made with just two ingredients. Our 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes and the winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review, share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest, Laura from the account 4 Boys Blue on Instagram.